Hey, thank you for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can go to our website, renewalchicago.com. I pray that this podcast today is a blessing and encouragement to your soul. Well, if you got a Bible, go ahead and meet me in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 will be... Back in the Sermon on the Mount today, Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16. If you've got to go ahead and stand on your feet. <clears throat> We've ended the Beatitudes last week. We're going into the rest of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is now saying, you know, Christian character, I've explained it, so now I want you to live it out. So Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, if you got it, go ahead and say, got it. Here now, the reading of God's word. So seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and he, when he sent that, sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger. I'm reading the whole Beatitudes again, if y'all didn't notice that. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be, receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when, you, when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now for our word today, you are the salt of the earth, he says. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Very words of God, amen. 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 Today I want to preach on topic being salt and light. Can you say that with me? Being salt and light. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. You're a good God. You're an awesome God, and we just give you praise. We give you all the honor and all the glory. God, I ask that, that you would speak with my mouth, that you think with my mind, that you be the words that come out, that it wouldn't be me, God, but it be you that speaks. Hide me behind your cross. Let me decrease so that you may increase. Father, have your way in this place. We all pray this in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus. And everyone said together, amen, amen.
You ever done something in life where it didn't really benefit you, but somebody else benefited by it greatly? You ever done something in life where it didn't really benefit you, but somebody else benefited by it greatly? I mean, growing up in a single-parent household, I got to see this type of life lived out on a day-to-day basis, this type of self-sacrificial life. <clears throat> my mother worked two jobs, sometimes three, throughout my whole childhood, as far as I can remember. And honestly, y'all, I cannot remember, I can't remember my mother missing one of my basketball games or my football games. I have no idea how she did it, but she showed up and she was there at everything. My parents were divorced and separated when I was about six years old. And my mother, I know she went out on dates. I'm looking at my sister. I know she went out on dates and stuff, but I never met any of the dudes. And it's probably because they were afraid of me, you know? Big old bad Derek. No, no joke. They would call the house and we call her idea just came out. So I would see the caller ID and the name and I would pick up the phone. Hello? I'm like 10 years old. Hello? May I speak to me? Who this? Oh, she, she's not here right now. And they wouldn't call back. But I know she went on dates, y'all, but I, I, maybe they were afraid of me. I'm not sure. But all that to say is that my mother, she sacrificed her comforts. She sacrificed her leisure time, her, her pleasures in order to put food on the table, in order to put clothes on her four children's back, while at the same time, making sure that we excelled in our studies. We better not come home with any any lower than a B. She made sure we did well in school. She would open up her house to any child that needed a home. I mean, at many times in my childhood, for, for, for months, not days, we would have multiple other children living in our household on top of the four kids she already had in the house. I mean, regardless of what was going on in her life, my mother always had the biggest smile. She had this huge smile and this laugh that would light up a room to this day. She prayed unceasingly for her children, and all of her children went on to pursue not only college degrees, but also graduate degrees. Three are married, and she has six grandchildren, five of which are mine, counting more, not mine, but there's more grandchildren to come. But next to Jesus, y'all, with all seriousness, my mother's my hero. She's my hero. She raised four kids all by herself. Family, I tell you this, all of this, because when I look at this scripture today, and you read of Jesus saying to believers, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world, he's saying live your life in a way that you affect all of those people around you. And on this Mother's Day, I couldn't think of anyone better than my mother to talk about being a true example of living out her life, affecting others around her, because I'm proof in the pudding. As they say, if without her, I'm not here. So I have a question to ask you guys. How are you affecting the people around you with your life? Think about it. How am I affecting the people around me with my life? I have two, two points today. Number one, Christians are to preserve goodness. Christians are to preserve goodness. And number two, Christians are to bring glory to God. Bring glory to God. 
In our passage today, Jesus is moving from delineating or describing Christian character in verses 3 through 12, and now he's moving on to applying his description in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. And as I told you before, the Beatitudes, those verses 3 through 12, really are the thesis statement, if you want to say, for the whole Sermon on the Mount. Those 12 statements, those, those, those verses are, are Jesus' thesis to the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. So now we're not contemplating or giving an overview of Christian character. No, no, we're not doing that anymore. But we're now considering what it looks like and functions like in the world based off of what God has in mind. So in essence, when we look now... At, at, at what we're looking at what Christians should be like based off what God says, based off of what he says in his word. And this is important because many of us like to make up our own Christian identity. We, we, we like to personalize and, and make, up, make Christianity what we want to be. Y'all been, been there before? Now, the Bible said this. Now, now, the Bible doesn't say that. What does the Bible actually say? See, and here's the thing. Jesus has not left that room to us. He's not left room for us to make up our own Christianity and what it means to be living out this Christian walk. He doesn't leave room for guessing too much in this Christ, for the Christian walk in the scriptures. I mean, the Bible's pretty clear. And there's no room to really say, I'm a Christian, but I don't believe this part of Christianity. Or I don't believe what Jesus said right here. I'm a Christian, but yet, you know, I feel this way about certain things, so I disagree with this part. Uh, no, 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 there's no room for that. I, I'm a Christian, but I don't believe this is a sin because I feel this way or, or I think this way. That's not Christianity. Jesus, Jesus leaves no room for that. It's no wishy-washy. You're the hot or cold. You're, he doesn't say you can make up your own Christianity. And here's the thing, family. The Bible doesn't leave that room. It doesn't leave too much room for guessing. And plus, the Christian's faith is built off of the fact of God's word, not how one feels. So that means you can feel all you want. You can feel this way about something else, but that doesn't make it true. There's fact and feelings, two different things. Your feelings need to be driven by the fact of God's word where your faith is placed in that fact, and now your feelings come from a result of the fact, faith, and now your feelings. Don't flip it the other way around, okay? God doesn't leave that room for us here in the Bible. So hear me, you don't want to miss the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, especially if you're walking in here and asking, what does it mean to be a Christian? What should my life look like? What does it mean? What does it look like to truly follow Jesus? You don't want to miss the rest of this Sermon on the Mount. You see, in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus makes it very clear what a Christian should look like in the world, which poses this question. Well, what does it look like, Pastor D? What does it tell us that a Christian should look like in the world? Which brings us to this whole theme of the series, which is Christian living in an everyday world. It's trying to figure out what does it look like to be a Christian in an everyday world. That's what we're looking at in the Sermon on the Mount. So in this passage today, Jesus begins with saying, you are the salt of the earth. You see that? He says, you are the salt of the earth which, hear me, would have, had, would have struck everyone off guard. It would, have, it would have made them at least turn their heads and say, you said, what, we're the salt of the earth? And the reason they would have did that is because salt was a hot commodity back then. Salt was highly valued in Jesus' day. It was probably one of the most important things to acquire. The Greeks called salt divine. The Romans said there is nothing more useful than salt and the sun. See, salt was sold and bought so much that this is where we get our word salary from. 
Y'all didn't know that. I didn't even know it either. You know, this is where we get our word salary from. You look it up. This is what the Roman soldiers were paid. They were paid, they were paid money in order to go buy salt. So you get salary from That's what the salary actually means. Here's your money to go buy you some salt. Sometimes people were actually paid in salt. I mean, could you imagine working all day long, eight to 10 hour shift? You've been, you've been humping. You've been getting it right, making it hard. You're sweating and everything. And then at the end of your job, somebody gives you a bag of salt. Could you imagine? What what am I going to do with this? That's the way we think, right? I don't have that much food to season. I'm not trying to get high blood pressure. I know what y'all thinking right now. I don't need salt. But see, in the time of Jesus, y'all, it was valuable to have salt. In Jesus' day, salt, hear me, was connected in a person's mind with three special qualities. Three special qualities. Number one. Salt was connected to purity. The Romans said that salt was the purest of all things because it came from the purest of all things, the sea and the sun. So some believe that these verses right here that Jesus is speaking of, it means that Christians need to be examples of purity, which is true to a certain extent, but not necessarily what I believe Jesus is saying right now. He, we, we, we are pure by Jesus' blood on the cross. We're, we're pure by Jesus dying our death, dying the death that we should have died, but we're not pure by ourselves. And part of the Christian walk is actually living humbly in the knowledge of your sin, in the, in the, in the messiness of your life, while at the same time still being accepted by God. You have heard me say it before, but we work from approval, not for approval. Meaning he sees you in your mess and he still loves you. He's not telling you, clean yourself up, then come to me. He sees you there. He says, come to me wherever you are, weary, heavy, and late. He says, right where you are, I love you. So yeah, yeah, it's talking about purity to a certain extent, but not, not, not really all the way. So the second quality of salt was to add flavor. Is to add flavor. Whereas, you know, when you put salt on something... It can enhance the taste, or some of y'all just heavy-handed, and you put too much salt, and it's salty. So some believe what Jesus is trying to say is that Christians are to bring flavor to life. Basically, when someone sees a Christian, their life should be so full of flavor that it adds to others and the world, period which I also believe is partly true. But some days, you ain't going to add flavor to somebody's life. I mean, because something may be going on in your life, some circumstance, things are happening around you, and and instead of adding flavor, you actually take flavor away from somebody. It's like, I don't want to be around that person right now. I mean, think about what I talked about last week, the, the life of Job. You think about Job, all the things that I said happened to him where his kids were killed, his servants were killed, his livelihood destroyed, his wife and his friends turned their back on Job, and then he's stricken with boils all over his body, boils all over his body to the point where he starts, starts taking glass shards and scraping boils off of his body. I don't know if y'all have ever had a boil, but it doesn't feel good already. He's taking glass and he's scraping it off. All of this is due to persecution. 
So, so when I'm looking at Job's life right here and him scraping boils off, I'm sorry and I don't know about you, but that part of his life, this hardship is not adding any flavor to my life. I don't want that. I don't want that flavor. You can keep that. I don't need that. But see, here's, then, here's the other fact with that. Salt cannot scientifically lose its flavor. So when Jesus says, if salt has lost its taste, how then shall it be restored? This is more of a rhetorical question. Basically, Jesus is saying, you are either a believer or you're not. You're either salty or you're not. If you're not salty, then you're no longer of any use. See, what Jesus is saying is that if you're a believer, then you need to go live it out. Go be the salt. Be salty, affect everything around you, and give glory to me. Just be salty. And the other great truth about that is that, hear me, in being a Christian, when you're, when you're, when you're referencing a Christian, a believer, and you're talking about not being able to lose his saltiness, this means that the Christian cannot lose his salvation. You, you didn't save yourself. Let me talk about this. John 3.16 talks about God loving the world so much that he sends his only son in here to die the death that you, did die, that you were supposed to die. He hangs on a cross for you. Then he's buried. He rises from the dead with power in his hands. He gives life to you if you believe. And in Romans 2.4 tells us that it's through that goodness, through God's goodness, that draws men to repentance and belief. So, so hear me, don't miss this. In essence, we that believe did nothing to save ourselves. Even our faith is because God has brought us to this place of, of his goodness, and through that we believe. So, so hear me, if you did nothing to save yourself, then there's nothing you could do to lose your salvation. There's no amount of bad, none of that. No, you can't, you can't, that's not, it wasn't up to you. Salvation, hear me, y'all, is not purely a choice. I know I'm messing with some of y'all. It's not purely a choice. It's not purely a choice that we make on our own. We really don't just have that ability to do that. I mean, think about it. Yeah, choice left up to us, we're not choosing God. If I have the ability to make my own choice and I have all the power in my hand to do what I need to, I don't need God. I think I have everything in my hands to make it happen. I'm good enough already. I can do all things in my own power. I can figure it out on my own. I'm not going to choose God. But hear me, when you truly come face to face with the goodness of God, when you truly come face to face with his goodness in the midst of your mess, in the midst of your sadness, in the midst of your trials, in the midst of your tribulation, in the midst of your pain, when you truly come face to face with the goodness of God, yo, you can't help but to believe because his goodness is overwhelming. See, when Jesus says salt loses its saltiness, since salt cannot scientifically lose its flavor, don't miss this. He is really referring to salt being combined with various impure substances and therefore becoming worthless as a preservative. Y'all hear me, because this is really true of some of us. We may be asking, does God still love me right now? Does God still accept me for who I am? I've messed up. I've done some horrible things. And we're asking this because we've some doubt, we've dabbled in some, some sin and some things that we know we shouldn't have, thus making our salt impure. Those impurities, fornication, 
adultery, idolatry, drunkenness, pornography. We can go on down the line. You name it. Some of us have mixed our salt with other things. All of us at one point that we've mixed our salt with other things and the flavor has changed. Y'all missing this. The, the, the salt is not gone. It's just hard to distinguish the taste. It's like eating some, some uh, Campbell's soup. Y'all ever eat Campbell's soup before? Campbell's soup and the can joint, the can soup. You, you ever eaten Campbell's soup before? All right, ramen noodles, ramen noodles. Y'all had ramen noodles before? Ramen noodles. You all have had some type of soup. You know that the, 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 the largest ingredient next to the water is salt, right? Y'all know pretty much canned soup and ramen noodles is just salt, right? It, it's salt. But the problem is once you start mixing everything else in there, or you keep it in that can with all the other ingredients, you don't realize how salty it actually is because it's mixed with all this other stuff in the soup. Family, some of us have mixed our saltiness or Christianity with some stuff it should have never been mixed with. But hear me, the good news of the gospel is in 1 John 1, 9, it tells us that Jesus is just and righteous to forgive and cleanse us of all unrighteousness if we ask for it. Hear me, somebody needs to hear that. You came in here heavy-hearted like, God, does he love me? Does he want me? Hear me, God has not left you or forsaken you. He's still there, but you may need to repent and ask for forgiveness and allow God's saltiness to permeate all those areas of your life again. You might just need to come to him. This leads to the third quality that I've already mentioned, this third quality of salt. Most people thought that salt was a preservative. They thought of it as a preservative, and this was a very important part of salt. See, salt was used to keep things from going bad. This is most likely what Jesus is referring to by calling people the salt of the earth. See, because people did not have refrigerators back then. Okay, as much as you want to think they did, they did not have refrigerators back then. That's a luxury that we get to partake in today. They put salt on everything because of that. They would put salt on all their meat. This is most likely where we get salted fish and salted meat and all this stuff because people just got used to eating all their food salty. So they didn't care about the flavor. No, they just wanted to make sure they had some meat and food left over for the next day or the days to come. So they put salt on it so it would last a little bit longer. Plutarch, a, a Roman historian and philosopher, he has a strange way of putting it, but I, I like the way he said it. He says these words. Look at these words. He says, meat is a dead body and part of a dead body and will, if left to itself, go bad. But salt preserves it and keeps it fresh, and is therefore like a new soul inserted into a dead body. Salt preserves meat. And I'm looking at this quote, and as I'm reading, I'm seeing, I see the gospel all in this. I mean, I, I, I once was dead, this dead body, this dead piece of meat. The wages of sin is death, according to Romans 6.23. But then it says, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In essence, Jesus is the salt of my life. Through his death, burial, and resurrection, he's given me life. He has preserved me. He's preserved me. He, he's the salt of my life. He's preserved me. But the question now becomes, Why? Why, God, would you preserve me? 
Why not save me and just take me with you? Why would you preserve me? Why, why keep me? For what purpose? He answers that question in the first verse. Y'all, y'all, we already read it. He says that you are the salt of the earth. He doesn't say you're the salt of your, for your own good. Doesn't say keep the salt in the cabinet with all the other spices. No, he says you're the salt of the earth. Where in other terms, or, or in terms of preservation, or preservation, I'm preserved not only for my own good, but for the good of this whole earth. Now, why would Jesus say that? Hear me. Jesus knew that the world was not going to get any better, but sadly worse. He knew that evil would persist in this world even after his sacrifice. He knew that corruption would exist, so thus Jesus is calling his disciples to arrest corruption and prevent moral decay in the world. And so it is the same for us. Family, living as a Christian in an individualized world like America can be very countercultural because one can, can easily... Forget that the only reason a believer is still here on this earth is not for your own good, but is to point people to Jesus. The believer's home is not here, it's in heaven. So it's, it's not rack up all the things you can get here. One, one preacher said it this way, ain't no U-Haul's going to heaven. It's not about what you can do here, you're, you're going to heaven. Your home is there. See, one has to remember that because it's, it can be easy for a believer to be bogged down by everything that's happening in this world, everything that's happening around you or to you, and forget where home is, and thus not be a preservative agent that God has called you to be. So I ask you this morning, are you salty? Are you salty? When you see someone hurting, what do you do with it? Do, do you feel it? Does it cause your heart to ache too? When, when, you, when you see murder or hear about it, when you hear about corruption, when you hear about hopelessness or homelessness here in Chicago, what does it cause you to do? Do you just go into your home, lock your doors and close it off and just turn your TV on? I'm good. I'm, I'm great all by myself. Or do you drop to your knees and say, God, I need you to work through me to help in this world. I need you to be glorified through me, God, in this world. What do you do when you see all this stuff happening around you? Do you share with people what Jesus has done in your life? Or do you keep everything private? Y'all hear me. Hear me clearly. Salt can't act as a preservative if it's sitting in the cabinet. Let me say it again. It can't act as a preservative as if it's sitting in the cabinet. No, no, no. What you have to do is get it up out the cabinet, meaning get up out your house and start shaking salt everywhere. Y'all missing this. Okay. You, you, you hear about murder. You hear about murder happening in Chicago. The, the proper response to that is not to just turn off the TV and act like it's not happening, keep going on about your business. Sometimes you need to grab a group of people and go out on the corner in West Garfield or the west side of Chicago or south side of Chicago and line up and grab hands and start praying, making sure that violence does not happen on this corner anymore. You know what you're doing? You're shaking your salt everywhere. Sometimes, it, it, maybe that didn't get you. Maybe there's the corrupt politicians. They really get on your nerves. 
Instead of just getting on social media and having a Twitter war and, and, and starting to be a social media soldier, sometimes you need to drop to your knees and start praying for the leaders of this country, the leaders of your city. The Bible calls us to do that and start shaking your salt everywhere. Maybe you need to grab a group of people and start bringing awareness to what's happening in our country, what's happening in the city and saying, look, you need to make sure you go vote. You need to make sure you need to get out there and exercise your right because you want the right leaders in a place that's shaking your salt everywhere. Oh, maybe y'all don't get that. We all get this one, though. We're riding down the street in our car. And you, you, see, you see a homeless person on, on the side of the road. Instead of just acting like you don't see them and driving, maybe you need to stop. Maybe you need to ask them, are you hungry? You know, these are real people with real needs and real problems. Maybe you need to take it a step further. Go serve at Breakthrough. Go serve at a homeless shelter. You know what you're doing when you do that? You're shaking your salt everywhere. See, Jesus, don't miss what I'm saying in this text. What he's saying in this text is that he's calling Jesus, he's calling us as believers to be the salt of the earth. He's saying you are saved not only for your goodness, but to preserve my goodness in the earth. Y'all still missing this. Y'all still missing this. I got about two amens, okay? How many of y'all remember growing up in the household and uh, your mom was preparing a meal and she wasn't preparing a meal for today? Most moms, y'all not cooking today, so sorry, husbands, y'all need to figure it out, okay? If they prepare the meals for tomorrow or the next day. All right, so y'all remember being in the kitchen? Y'all not going with me. Y'all remember being in the kitchen and your mom's cooking a meal and she's grabbing all the spices out of the cabinet and she's putting them on the counter and she's getting ready to, to season up the meat for the next day or two. She's getting the meal ready. Y'all remember being in the kitchen? In, in my house, one of the most important ingredients, can y'all guess it? It was salt. It was salt. So we'd be in that kitchen and, and some of y'all looking at me like, why is this salt? It's because y'all don't cook with salt. I know y'all healthy here, but look, you got to have some flavor in your food, okay? If you invite me over to your house, please don't feel disrespected if you don't cook with salt because I'm going to ask you for the salt shaker. I need some Lowry's or something. Some of y'all don't even know what Lowry's is, do you? I need some seasoning salt. I need something. Hey, man, I got two amens. Come on now. Salt is okay. You don't have to do too much. It won't kill you. But, but I remember growing up, and my mother would grab all those ingredients out of, the, out of the, uh, the cabinet, and the one that she had almost all the time, if she didn't have anything else, y'all, was salt. And she would take that meat out, and she'd put it on the counter, and she would just start shaking the salt everywhere on the meat. Y'all see it coming out? She'd start shaking the salt all over the meat, and and. And she was doing this because she's not about to cook it that day. She's going to cook it in the next couple of days. So she'd take it, season it with some salt, then she put it into the refrigerator. Then a couple of days later, she would bring this, salt, this salted meat out of the refrigerator. And now, you, you know what's happened to this? Y'all know what's happened to the meat now? The salt now has not only enhanced the flavor, but more importantly, it's preserved the food until she was ready to cook it. Y'all see, the salt is the most important part of the seasoning. And then when she brings it out, not only is the food now that the flavor is permeated all through the meat, it's juicy, it's real tender, it's ready to go, but it's been preserved for the right time. 
Family, Jesus in this passage today is saying to believers, you are the salt of the earth. Hence, you're the most important thing that I have left behind because I need you to preserve my goodness in the midst of tribulation, in the midst of trials, in the midst of corruption, in the midst of persecution. He says, lift my name high. You are the salt of the earth. You are my preserving, preserving agent. Friends, but I got to ask you, are you salty? That's the question. Are you salty? Now, family, I love how Jesus continues in the passage because it's almost as if he's saying, just in case you didn't get my salt analogy, maybe that was too much and you missed it. Let me give it to you again. You don't eat salt. Let me, let me give you a different way. He reiterates himself, and he says, you're the light of the world. You're the light of the world, so go shine before others. Let people see me through you. He, he doesn't say hide it. He says, go shine. Now, hear me. Just like salt, when Jesus would have said this, people would have understood what he was saying because they didn't have electricity back then. They didn't have any flashlights back then. No, they didn't even, they didn't have lights. What they really had were these lamps. They had lamps back then or they had fire. And it's not the lamp where you twist it and turn it on. No, it's not that type of lamp. Listen to me. They had these houses too where they would have one window up at the top in Palestine. It's a circular window. And in this window would be about 18 inches wide. It was the highest point in the house. So everybody in the house could see the window and they would put the lamp in the window so it could light up the house. And it also could be seen for people that were trying to get to the house from a far distance away. They could see the lamp in the middle of the night. They could get to where they were going. Now this lamp was like a sauce boat. It looked like a sauce boat. Here, here's a picture. It was, it was filled with oil, and then there was a wick that was inside of this sauce boat. And they would light it, and they would try to keep it lit because they didn't have matches back then, so it wasn't easy to, to light this, so they would keep it lit. Now, normally, like I said, this was sitting on the lampstand high, which was, this lampstand would have been this, this, some kind of branch or, or wood that was sitting up there. And when they would leave the house, they would take this lamp, they would put it under a, a, a brussel or, or this, this bush, and it would, it would be a bushel measure so it wouldn't burn uh, in, in a way that is risky while they're gone. So they would put it there, and then they would come back when they, when they need to put it up, when they need to have light in the house. But hear me, the primary duty of the light of the lamp was to be seen. Don't miss that. It was to be seen. The light was to be seen, and on a very dark night, just like a lighthouse with a boat in the middle of the sea, this lamp in the window was for, for a, a way for people to find their way home. It was a way for people to find their way around the house in the middle of the night. That's what this lamp was for. See, the light simply expels darkness. You could see in the midst of darkness because of the light. My kids put it this way. They make it very simple. I say, baby, what's the first thing you do when you go into a house that's dark or you go someplace that's dark? They, Dad, I just find a light switch. I find the light because I can't see, and in the midst of the darkness, I need to know where the light is. Here's the point. Jesus in this passage is trying to get us to know. He's saying there's people out here that are looking for light in all different types of places. They're looking for light in the midst of darkness. They're looking around for light and hope in all the wrong places. People are looking for light in this world, family. 
Jesus says in John 8, 12, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is saying, I'm the one who lights up the world. No darkness can stand in my way. If you follow me and believe that same light now is within you. Now hear me. Light has never been in existence for its own good. Think about it. It's it's not for its own good. What I'm saying is the lamp, that light does no good for itself. If you're thinking about it, like, okay, what is he saying? It doesn't make sense. It does not prosper by lighting its, just lighting itself for its own good, nor does it do any good by just holding on to its oil and never lighting up. And hear me, this may sound absurd. It may be a little funny to you, a light trying to profit itself and hold on to all that it has. But don't miss what I'm saying, because truth be told, this is many Christians. It's how we treat Jesus. Where accepting him as Lord is all I do. I accept him as Lord and Savior, but that's good enough for me. Everybody else is on their own. I've accepted him. I know where I'm going. Now, you may not say that, but you're really not living as Jesus has called you to be. Like, I I got my Christianity, some say to themselves, I pray in the morning. I read my Bible every now and again. I go to church every Sunday. Yep, and I may even tithe on Sunday. That's some Christians. That's where we sit at. We sit in that, that reality. And Jesus, and you're saying, I, I do, I did, I'm doing everything right. And Jesus said, no, you're not. No, you're not. I mean, you need to do all those things. But hear me, Jesus says, I came into this world not for my own good, but for your good. He says, I came to serve, not to be served. I came to die the death that you were supposed to die. And he says, you being saved, I want you to go out and live the same type of life that I did for others. Friends, sometimes I believe, believers, we forget that we once were not saved. Sometimes we forget that we once, as believers, were sitting in darkness ourselves. We we forget that Jesus had to have some other people walk by us, shine their light in front of us. We may not have believed at that time, but they, they were shining. They were doing different things in front of us. We forget that we were once in that place. Paul talks about this in Ephesians. We forget that we were once sons of darkness, as he says. We forget. You've gotten so consumed with your own well-being or lack thereof that you've forgotten where your home is. You've forgotten that heaven is where home is, so now you don't share your life with anybody else. It's all about us. It's all about what can I get. Because we feel or we forget that Jesus has already called us to himself. We forget that we're here now as a a preservative agent now. I mean, how many of y'all, think about it. How many of y'all just in your life, at different points in your life, just don't feel like being a light? Be honest. I mean, at some point in your day, some point in your week, you're just like, I just want to be regular. I don't want to be a light today. I want to be honest with y'all. Some days I'm like that. Monday after I've been here all day preaching and working and loving on y'all and doing all that and y'all loving on me, all that good stuff. On on Monday, that's my day off. So I like to go play basketball. And when I'm I'm playing basketball, y'all, I'm not trying to be Pastor D. (laughs) 
I'm trying to cross you. I'm trying to take, I'm doing everything. I want to dunk if I could. I want to do all of those things. I used to be able to dunk. Don't, don't hate on me. I used to, I want to do all of these things. I want to talk mess. I want to call a foul and then somebody not say, Pastor, you can't be lying. I don't want that. <laughs> I'm trying to let my competitive juices flow too. And hear me, it's okay to, to, to relieve yourself and, and do something for your own good. It's okay. Jesus does do that in the text. He, he leaves his disciples sometimes, and he goes off in the wilderness for days at a time. They don't know where he is. Then Jesus pops up again. He had to get some time by himself. But hear me. It's okay to do that, but hear me. If that's all you do, and you make your Christian faith private, and it's, it's all about you, I keep it all inside, family, that's not Christian at all. Jesus says, in this passage, nobody lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. No, they put it up on a stand in the house so everyone can see it. Then he says, go shine that light so that through your good works, people will give glory to your Father. See, the Christian walk is not solely about one's own personal gain, but instead it's about being a light to the world. See, the Christian being the salt and the light, as this text says, has never been about bringing glory to the Christian, but instead to bring glory to God by sharing your life with others. But sadly, many of us, we miss this. Stories told that at a conference where the American evangelist D.L. Moody, he was there at the conference, and he's there, and people come in, and they... They're, they're there to hear him. They're there to listen to him. And there's some students that come that are very dedicated to their faith. They're super committed to their faith. And they decide one night they're going to just pray all night long. So they pray all night long. And then the next day, D.L. Moody sees them. And he says, what have you guys been doing? And they say, we've been praying all night. We've been praying all night. And then they say, can't you see the shine? Can't you see that our faces are shining right now? We've been praying all night. Can't you see that our faces are shining? And I, and I could just picture D.L. Moody looking at them, just shaking his head like, y'all just don't get it. Then he says these words. Look at him with me. He says, Moses did not know that his face shone. That goodness with, which is conscious, which draws attention to itself, is not the Christian goodness. He said it again. He says, Moses did not know that his face shone. That goodness which is conscious, which draws attention to itself, is not the Christian goodness. See, Moody basically said the same thing Jesus says right here in this text. He says, you're not saved for your own good, but instead go and be the salt of the earth and the light of the world and bring glory to God. Friends, the Christian is called to be the salt and light, but hear me, because I don't want you to miss this. I don't want you to mix up what I'm saying here. Believers are not necessarily called to control secular powers to be and structures of that sort. Neither are we promised that we can Christianize the, legal, the legislation and the values of this world. That's not what it's saying. Now, you may lead an organization, you may ought to do it, but that doesn't mean it's automatically going to be Christian. No, this world is going to get less and less Christian. That's the truth. But what I'm saying, what Jesus is really saying in this text is that Christians must remain active 
preservative agents, indeed irritants in calling the world to heed God's standards. Let us never form isolated Christian enclaves to, to which the world pays no attention to. But may we always be, as believers, salt and light in a world that needs to see Jesus. May we always be salt and light. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. You're a good God. God, I pray that even today, God, where we are, Lord, I pray that we know that you called us to yourself, not necessarily for our good, but for your good. And then that, God, I pray that you be lifted high, that you be glorified in everything we do. We're thankful to be called the preservative agents of your faith. God, I pray that you'll help us in those times that we will be salt and light. Sometimes, God, we're not the best. And you knew that, which is why you died for us. God, I pray if there's someone here that just came this visit and saying, one, I didn't know you cared for me that much. God, I pray that you'd intervene in their heart right now, that you call them to yourself. And in that, Lord Jesus, that you'd use them for your glory and your glory alone. God, you're a good God. We love you and pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for listening to our podcast today. I pray again that it was a blessing and encouragement to your soul. And I hope to see you at one of our services at 10 a.m. Take care. God bless you. Sure.